but all right, we're, we're looking at the, the, the book of Colossians, and we're going to go into the third chapter. Last week, um, we covered a lot of ground last week in the second, second chapter, and there was a lot. Um, and if I had to describe the book of Colossians with one word, that word would be truth, because it always points to the truth. The first chapter dealt with dealing with the truth of, of Jesus Christ. How many need truth in your life? How many want the truth? All right, me too. Um, there's something about the truth, and we need it, and we, we, we should have it in life. So chapter 1 talks about the truth of Christ. We went through that, and that was a very powerful chapter. In chapter 2, we talked about the truth about cults or things that try to rear their head up in churches at times. And um, Paul was dealing specifically with some things. Remember, he gave them high accolades in, in chapter 1, the Colossians, because they were doing great things. He, and then, But he confronted some things in that church that had kind of reared, reared its head up there in, in chapter 2. And then... Uh, uh, last week we talked about, just to kind of give you a breakdown of what chapter 2 was, we talked about four things. We talked about how the uh, Gnosticism and intellectualism had, had come into the church. And last week I was talking about that. There's nothing wrong um, with learning philosophy and those things. But do you know those things are man-made? And when it comes to salvation, an eternal thing, philosophy does not even carry its weight to something eternal like salvation. So when you're talking about salvation, uh, intellectual, listen, it's good to go get educated. It's Those are great things. You're saying there's something wrong with getting educated and learning philosophy. You can learn all those things, but at the end of the day, those things will fall and, and fall short. But the thing about it is the Lord's wisdom is beyond man's, amen? And so we learned about that. That was, that was the first thing. We also talked about, uh, which Paul does a lot, we talked about legalism, uh, which are, and he was talking about rules and regulations that the Jewish uh, Christians were trying to get all the Gentiles to follow and said, oh, you, you could, you're saved, but you, but you should also keep these feasts, and you should also uh, do this, and you should be circumcised, and you can only eat these certain things. And legalism had kind of crept itself into that, that church was starting to kind of seep in. And how many know that we're saved by grace, and it's not by our works. It's only by the grace of Jesus Christ that we're saved. So, so we can't even boast about it. So Paul would say that. And so there's nothing wrong with, with rules, and there's nothing wrong with traditions. But let me tell you, those things will not get you into heaven. All right? It's only the grace of Jesus Christ. And, so, and it's only by grace that we're saved. So we also talked about mysticism and how people... Um, would oftentimes, sometimes people see visions. And I, I believe that God speaks through visions, through people. And I, I think God does that. But I think we have to be very careful. And one of the things that I, I, I said about that, about mysticism, is um, sometimes people will see a vision and they think that they have, um, they, that God can only speak through them. And that's a fallacy in itself because God will speak through whoever he wants to. And so sometimes, and, and I, I, I mentioned this last week, when, 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 when someone has a vision, there are some good two things that I, that I talked about that, that when someone sees a vision, uh, that I think those people that see visions need accountability. All right? That means that 
that if they if they have some sort of dream or they have some sort of vision, they should talk that over with with the pastor or with somebody that will give them uh, a, a very objective view of what what they saw. Okay, they need some accountability in their life. Everybody needs accountability. Did you know that pastor has accountability? Everybody needs accountability, and, and so uh, so that was the first thing. And, and then the second thing um, we were talking about uh, that I mentioned was we are to Test the spirits. John talks about that, testing the spirits. And sometimes if we aren't careful, if something's not right, some people will try to weasel their way into a church, and they're really, truly false prophets. They, and, and, and so we have to be very careful in doing that. So mysticism was kind of setting itself in. And the last thing that, uh, that we talked about was asceticism, which was the uh, basically um, it was – it was simply this. It just meant that you could basically break your will to, or you could will your way over something, okay? Basically is, okay, you have to follow this diet or you, you have to not talk for a year. I mean, you see a lot of asceticism among monks. You know, they'll go years without talking. But here's the deal. What ends up happening is we begin to worship our willpower. Amen. Um, instead of instead of putting the focus where it needs, and and it's okay to be disciplined. I think you need to be disciplined. This this last week, I started going to the gym again, and Lord, my body told me how undisciplined I have been. All right, um, but I think that you should be disciplined. But here's here's the key: uh, 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 we 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 need to understand that we, no matter what we do as a person, we cannot do it on our own. It's only through the Lord. Amen. So this week, I want to talk about uh, the truth about. Christian living, all right? Chapters 3 and 4 deal with the truth about Christian living. How many need help in your Christian walk? Amen. And I do. And um, really this this particular, the last two chapters of this book can be broken down into two parts. The first is the truth about the uh, Christian living for heaven. You ever thought about that, that we're actually living now for heaven? And, and and sometimes we, we forget about that. And we're going to talk about that verses 1 through 4 in this chapter. That's what that little bit. But the rest of chapter 3 and the rest of chapter 4 deal with the truth about Christian living here on earth. So here's a good way to put that. We are here. While we're here, we are to have our feet on the ground. But our hearts and our eyes move towards heaven. We, we are to be here. We have to have our feet. We have to be in this world. But our goal should be heaven. Amen? Everyone's like, oh, man, I don't know if I like that very much. Here's the thing. This world is temporal. Our life is a very, very small portion compared to eternity. And we're just passing through this world. It's, it's just a journey. So we're going to talk about that. So here's the first, first, if you need a subheading, the truth about the Christian living for heaven. All right, says this in verse three or, or chapter three, verse one. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. I heard this this week that a young man once told a uh, a pastor. He said, "I," he said, "Pastor, I I believe that God created the universe with His left hand." And he said, "I don't understand why you say that because then he then he quoted this verse." If you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are far, uh, that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. 
basically saying that now that, that that's not real theology but 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 he is seated next to next to God in heaven so but here's the thing I'm reminded of when when I was about to graduate high school anybody remember when you were about to graduate high school the last two months of school were you there or were you kind of checked out yeah, I, 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 the last few weeks of school, it was a joy. Matter of fact, um, I I'd spent my whole high school career wanting to miss school, and then the last two months of school, I wanted to go to school because it was just fun. Right? Anybody know what I'm talking about? And, and um, uh, I didn't I didn't I didn't feel like there was a lot of lot of pressure on me, um, and and it was fun, and and I knew my time was short. And I knew my teachers were going to cut me some slack. And I knew I could probably call them by their first name and not get sent to the office and just kind of have those fun things, right? And but, but I knew I was a free man. I was about to be a free man once I got out of high school. And then I got out into the real world and I got crushed really fast, right? Some of you say amen, right? Um, but here's the thing. So, so too, just like I was, we Christians should set our minds up on things above and not below. Now, we are to tarry while we're here on, here at, on earth. And here's the deal. As Christians, our end goal is not anything on this earth, but it's in heaven. And sometimes we lose our focus here on earth. Now, we're here. We're here physically. We have to be here physically so is, is what, what's happening. And, and, I've, and I've seen it and you've seen it where people who are content in this world are looking forward to heaven they have such a peace in their heart. Have you ever been around someone that just you know their eyes are on heaven and nothing in this world shakes them? I love being around those kind of people. It, it amazes me. The people who are living for this world and its riches are constantly frustrated. You know why? Because this world, it does not provide. It does, it does not solve the big picture. Yeah, we might get something temporarily here on this earth. You know, we might get a raise on our job, and it may feel good, but then guess what? Then comes the government comes in, and they take more taxes, right? So, so you know, there's things in this earth, and I think I, uh, the things of this world are, are never as fulfilling and, and, and satisfying as we want to make them out to be. You know, job, home, our money, et cetera, can go on and on and on and on. Um, and if they were, let me ask you, if all those things were so important, why are so many rich people in Hollywood so miserable? They don't satisfy because you were created for something beyond where you are presently in this world. And, and I think this is why the Lord tells us um, in his word, and, he, and this is not just something that Paul says. This is something throughout the Bible. He, he says it's to set our hearts on things Above, talking about heavenly things. When, when you do that, uh, what you drive or where you live or what's in your bank account won't matter as much. It's not as important. Is there is there is there anything wrong with those things? Not at all. You know what? I think God wants to bless you, and I think you ought to you ought to live in the nicest house that you can live. You ought to drive the nicest car that you're able to afford. I think those things are great. But at the end of the day. We're not worried about what's happening here. We're looking at the finish line, not what's happening here. So our goal as Christian is the finish line. What is the finish line for us? Heaven. That's it. And, and, and so sometimes we're too busy focusing on what's happening here in the race right here around us, 
and we don't have our eyes on the prize. And it's, it's just like me at the end of school. There's the prize. I see the prize. I'm getting ready to get out of here. I'm getting ready to leave. Set your hearts on things above. And it's a central message, not uh, all throughout the Bible. And live for heaven. Live for heaven, and you will enjoy life. Live for heaven, and you'll enjoy life. I, um, uh, and so how does that happen? Well, I believe there are many ways, but I, I want to share three quickly that I just want to point out right now. Number one is this, uh, treasures. Everyone say treasures. First, we live for heaven through that which we treasure. Look at this, Matthew 621, Jesus said, wherever your treasure is, there is where your heart will be also. Now, let me ask you this. Now, this is rhetorical, so then you'll have to answer this. Where is your treasure? Uh, when Jesus tells us in Matthew uh, 6, verse 20, to lay up our treasures in heaven, it's not God's way of raising money. Because God, let me tell you something, God doesn't need your money. He doesn't. He doesn't. You say, well, should I not pay tithe? No, God wants your heart. He doesn't care about your money. He, he, wants, your, he wants your willingness to give. And so, but look at this. So uh, it's not a fundraising campaign for him. No, knowing where our treasure is, our heart will follow it. So if my treasure is heaven, guess what? My heart's going to yearn for, for heaven. If my treasure is this earth or this job, my heart's going to go towards that. And will it lead to some disappointment on this earthly realm? Absolutely. And, and so if you invest your treasures in the stock market, that's where your heart will be. Right? Or in your house or in your relationship. So, so one of the ways of, of getting our hearts above is by investing in the kingdom. So how do we do that? You can invest your finances in the kingdom. You can invest in time in the kingdom. And you can invest your effort in the kingdom. That is what I'm talking about, laying up your treasures. Kingdom-minded, heavenly-minded, not just here on earth. Here's the second thing, trials. Everyone say trials. Uh, we live for heaven through our trials. Oh, I, like, I don't like that one, TJ. I, I, I agree. And I'm convinced that God will send a trial our way to make us homesick for heaven. Sometimes, I think some of the things we go through, God allows us to go through so we can get our eyes fixed on what the goal is. And it's not this temporal thing that we're dealing with here, but it's the long term, it's heaven, it's eternal. Uh, uh, I remember when I moved out on my, my own, um, when trials came, I had to fix my car when my AC went out. I didn't have the money to do that. And, and, and when my rent went up. You know what happened to me when I moved out on my own? All of a sudden, I got really homesick. Uh, if I go home, mom and dad tell, help, me, help me figure this out, right? And so, uh, uh, and so I think he does this because we have a life of easy peasies. A lot of, a lot of us say, that. I, I've got an easy peasy life. Everything is going good. Not, no issues. And here's the thing. If our life is all easy peasy, guess what? We don't ever look beyond this because we're comfortable. So I think God, he'll put a little spur in our saddle sometimes, right, or a little burr in our saddle just to, to get us moving, to get us looking ahead of what is coming good. Trials remind us of the blessed hope of Jesus. Here's number three right here, transfers. Everyone say transfers. Another way that the Lord gets me to set my heart 
and my mind on things above is by transfers. Well, what do you mean by that, Pastor? Well, has anyone ever lost a loved one in here? Anybody ever lost a parent? Anybody ever lost a brother, sister, child, friend? How many of you yearn to see those people that have went on? And here's the thing. This is important because when you have transferred loved ones and friends and parents and spouses and maybe even children, your heart longs to be there all the more. Right? And so I, I think that's the so treasures and trials and transfers are three ways I think our hearts can constantly be set on things above. Here's, here's the next verse. Verse 3, it says this, for you have died and your life is hidden uh, with Christ in God. And so the word hidden here means buried with Christ. It really means buried with Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a what? A new creation. The old has what? Passed away. Behold, the new has come. Our old man died, and we are made new through him and in him. Amen? Verse 4 says this, when Christ, who is your uh, life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So the day is coming that we are going to see Jesus soon, and we'll say, this is what we've been craving, and this is what we've been longing for. And the things of this earth are going to seem so trivial and, and unimportant. And that's why I believe, you know, the thing, I don't think we talk about it enough, but I don't, I don't believe that we talk about heaven enough. I don't. As believers, we don't, we don't talk about heaven because most of us realize that when we go to heaven, we're going to have to die. Right? But, but our eyes should be set on heaven. I, I, uh, I have this, uh, my great-grandmother, when I was growing up, my mom's grandma was about four foot ten and, and was about this tall, was a small stature woman, was a praying woman, loved God with all her heart, was, was, was amazing. I remember one time she prayed at one of our family reunions and they asked her to pray over the mill. And while she was praying over the mill, I watched these people in the family just begin to cry because she was praying with such fervency. I've never seen anyone pray over fried, fried chicken with such fervency. But these, these people were beginning to cry because she was just reaching out. And, and, and one thing I loved about my grandma Reed was she always talked about heaven. And I remember one time they asked her to speak. And, and um, they asked her to come and speak. And they said, can, Grandma, can you speak on this particular subject? And she got up there and she said, you know what, I'm, I don't want to speak on that. I want to talk about heaven. And she changed everything right then and there. She began to speak on heaven. She said, it's a place that I long for. It's the place I want to be. And so, and that's why Paul tells us heaven is where our hearts should be. And when Christ appeared, it's going to be glorious. You, you remember the transfiguration when Peter, James, and John, they saw Jesus and he was transfigured on the, uh, on the mount there. And, and, and his, his deity broke through his, his uh, human, human, you know, his body there. And it came out. And, and you remember what, what Peter said. He said, this, this, Lord, this is good. And the same thing will happen to you and me when we see Jesus face to face. Because we'll see the glory of what he is and what he means to us. So too, it, when we see the glorious Jesus, we, we don't live for this life but for heaven. But heaven is the blessed hope. Everyone say blessed hope. I, 
I've heard this my whole life, but I never believed it more than I ever do right now. We are just pilgrims passing through this land. Should we occupy 100%? We, we should do what we need to do. But my hope and our hope as believers is heaven and seeing Jesus Christ. Amen? And, and so one of the main focuses in the Bible in teaching is heaven. And Paul reminds us we are to live for heaven. So verse 5. So we're going to a little bit a little bit more practical here. I love how Paul he'll he'll take something like like chapter 2 in Colossians where there's a a lot of theological depth and some and he'll be very pointed and then he in the next chapter he'll go to something that is super practical that we that is applicable that we can do day to day. So here's the next section is this the truth about Christian living on earth, all right? Everyone look at your neighbor say this is right now. All right, verse 5 says this. Put to death Therefore, what is earthly in you? So after Paul exhorts concerning how we should live for heaven in verses 1 through 4, he shifts and turns our attention to how we should live here on earth. You want to know how to live as a believer? This right here is a good, good place to start right here. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Here's, here's number one. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil, desires and covetousness, which is idolatry. Verse 6, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. Pretty strong words. Verse 7, in these, you too once walked when you were living in them. So our culture says this, live for your earthly desires. Our culture says, me, 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 satisfy me, right? Have you ever thought how how narcissistic our, our society is? We want what's good for me. Me, 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 me. Yet, in, 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 this, in this case, covetousness is the cause of, of wars among nations, right? We see right now, Russia's on the border of, uh, of Ukraine, right? Why? Because they want something that Ukraine has. And so there's there's wars. Here's another one. And, and, and you know, to break this down, you know, I'll, I'll break these down a little bit. Pornography is a major reason for the breakdown of family and in and societies. Ooh, no one wants to talk about that one, right? Evil desires have caused entire nations to collapse. The scripture makes no distinction. I, look at this. <laughs> this is this is crazy. The scripture makes no distinction between sexual immorality or fornication and pornography because the two are tied together. The two are tied together. So, so, so often, man, and I'm gonna, I'm, I'm just gonna go here. So often, we'll watch movies that we ought not watch, right? And, and we'll read books that we ought not be reading, and we'll watch even ads on TV. Or on the internet that are not good for our eyes. I talked about this. The window of our, our of our souls is our eyes. And, and what we let come in, guess what? It's going to come back out. Amen. All right. I'm glad you guys are with me. Don't 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 hate on me. All right. I'm just I'm just bringing it here. And Paul says, put these things to death. That's pretty strong. Just put these things to death. Don't even let these things rear their head up in your life. Put them to death. When something dies, guess what? It goes away. 
Same goes for these sins of sensuality or lust or of the flesh. They cause covetousness, which Paul says is like idolatry. And let me tell you, he also says that those things bring God's wrath. I don't want to be on the wrong side of God's wrath. Amen. And so yet you just need to cut it out or, or put it to death or just stop it. And here's the thing. If you're struggling with that, ask the Holy Spirit and he will give you strength to do it. I know that's, that's not popular, but that's the truth. And his word says, cut it out, cut it off. And, 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 and you'll have the strength to do it. And, and living for earthly desires brings death. For the wages of sin is we live in a fallen world full of sin. However, putting to death, listen to this. Here's the flip side. Living for earthly desires brings death. However, putting to death earthly desires brings life. Putting to death earthly desires brings life. Verse 8 says this. But now you must put them all away. So he goes on. Here's some more things you need to put away. Here's just talk about Christian character here, all right? He starts with this first one, anger. Ooh, I was okay with the other ones, Pastor. Now now you're getting on now you're stepping on my toes because guess what? Sometimes I just wanna I just wanna go off on people. You know, they just rub me the wrong way, right? Anger, and, and, and we, we have to put off the above mentioned, put to death the things that we talked about just a moment ago, but we also have to put these things, uh, cut these off as well. Anger here is the Greek word orge, which, which means slow or simmering emotion. How many know what I'm talking about? Have you ever been so angry that it just kind of slow and it simmered and it just started to build within you, right? It's festering, it's smoldering, filling it. And here's what Paul says, that has to go. Can't have that. You can't, you can't have that. Some people are just angry and do everything in anger. You ever been around someone that's just angry? Man, I don't like being around people that are just angry. I'm sorry that you're having a bad day, but I don't want no part of you because you can have your bad day. I'm going to be happy because the joy of the Lord is my strength. And Paul's saying this. Don't be those people. Don't be those people. Here's the next one. He says, you know, uh, 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 but now you must put them all away. Anger, number one. Number two, wrath. <clears throat> oh, what's the difference between wrath and anger here? The Greek word translated for wrath is, is thumos, which means hot. Anybody ever been hot under the collar just because you, you were angry about something? Right, that expression that we say, someone made you mad and you were moved to wrath. Anybody ever been there? I remember uh, one, of my, one of my best friends growing up, when I moved out on my own, we got an apartment together. And he worked late at night. He didn't work nights, but he worked late into the night. And I worked uh, a, a normal job. I got up earlier in the morning. And so we were sitting there in our apartment, which was about a block from a, a junior high school, Less than a block away, probably like just, just down the street. And across the street from us was this Episcopalian church, and they had a bell outside. And it was like 7 in the morning, and I was getting up to go to work. And, and while I'm getting up to go to work, these young junior high boys come by this Episcopalian church. And guess what? They saw the rope on the bell. And what are you going to do when you're a teenage boy and you see a, a bell, a rope and a bell that you can reach? 
You're going to pull that bell. And they kept ringing that bell and ringing that bell and ringing that bell and ringing that bell. And I was just sitting there getting ready, and I was smiling, and I watched my uh, my, my friend was tossing and turning in his bed. And I, and I kept thinking, oh, he's about to break. And I remember he got up, and he was so angry, okay. And it was like it was cold outside, and he went out with shorts on, no shirt. And he walks out of his apartment. He goes, that's it, I've had enough. And he walks out, and he opens the door, and he goes down the stairs, and he opens the gate to the apartments. And I'm like, i got to see this. So I go to the window just to see what's about to happen next. And he goes out there in his little shorts and weighing like 120 pounds. And he's all, guys! And they went, some people are trying to sleep! And I just laughed. Wrath. You're hot. Smoldering. It's like a volcano. Exploding. It's what happened to my friend. And here's what happens. When a volcano explodes, there's an awful lot of collateral damage. And usually the collateral damage are those that are closest to you. Now that's good. That wasn't in my notes, but that's good. So when I moved to unnecessary wrath, I, I hurt a lot of people, oftentimes people that are closest to me. I know as a father sometimes something can be festering in my mind. There's been times where I, I didn't intentionally do it, but sometimes I, I blew up and it hurts my kids, hurts my wife. And Paul says, hey, you can't. You can't have wrath. You can't, you can't do that. Here's another one, malice. Everyone say malice. Uh, what is malice? Finding humor in another's misfortune. Whew. Ever done that? You ever laughed at someone else's misfortune? Say, oh, don't be all pious with me. I, I know you've all done it at some point in your life, right? And unfortunately, like me, I've done this. I was laughing at, at my friend's misfortune with the bell. And I've done this mostly, mostly when I'm young, but Paul's saying, don't have malice in your heart. Don't be happy when, when bad things happen to, to people. Here's the next one, slander and obscene talk from your mouth. <laughs> Man, Paul's just throwing out the, the big guns right now, right? The, the King James Version says uh, blasphemy instead of slander, but, but it means this, contempt for God or anything sacred. That's really what it means. Contempt means that you're saying that something is not worthy. And when you slander somebody, you're saying that they are not worthy. Obscene talk should not come from your mouth. Now, ooh, it's quiet in here, right? Here's another one. You ought not to cuss. Say, oh, but I, I, you know, pastor, but sometimes it just... It slips out. Here's what, here's what scripture says. I mean, James 3.11 says, does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? How can you tell people about the blessings of Jesus Christ when you're busy cursing people? Because according to James, you can't have fresh and salt water coming out of the same well. And, and the same thing goes for us. Uh, uh, you know, and, and speaking of the tongue here in James chapter 3, and if you, you got a chance to read that, James chapter 3, the, that 
verses 1 through, I think, 12. If you read that here, he's making a reference that blessing and curses can come, that they cannot come from the same source. So there's a reason they are called curse words. Right? There's a reason they're called curse words. There's, because they are cursing. They are the opposite of blessings. And some of us sometimes have cursed things. We say things out of anger or whatever that have come out of our and we're cursing those things. We may have said things about our kids, and, and we've cursed those things instead of blessing those things. Amen? And so Paul warns the Colossians here uh, to, to not have any unwholesome talk from their mouths. Well, some of us need some help. Amen? And, and so verses 5 through 8 is, is a great instruction for the Colossians, and, and it's, it's good for you and me today uh, to... There's things that we should put to death, and there's some things that we, that we just need to cut off and we need to do away with. Look at this, verse 9. Here's another one. Do not lie to one another, seeing that, that you have put off the old self with its practices. So the idea, ideal here is of lying is giving or bearing false witness. So what is a false witness? Well, I'm glad you asked because I'm going to tell you anyways, all right? In Matthew 26, we see the example. So there are two false witnesses that came forward referring to Jesus, and said uh, that if the temple was, uh, was to be destroyed and that it would raise back up in three days. And, and Jesus did say that, okay? Jesus said that, but Jesus was referring to his earthly temple, his body, right? Talking about his death on the cross and the resurrection out of the grave. He said, this temple, I, I'm going, it's going, I'm going to break it down and I'm going to bring it back up. And he's not actually talking about the physical temple there, okay? But look at this. The false witnesses, uh, they're giving, look at this. They're giving the right information, but with the wrong implication. That's what a false witness is. It is somebody who is giving the right information. It may have a hint of truth in it, but with the wrong implication. Let me tell you someone else who did that. The serpent with Eve. Gave the right information. Yeah, you won't die. But the implication is the relationship between you and God is going to be severed because of disobedience. Well, I technically told the truth, yeah, but did, 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 you, did, you, uh, uh, did you understand that what you're saying? Or did you hide behind the rhetoric to conceal the real implications of something? It reminds me of our media today. Right? They might tell you some truth, but they're, what is the implication behind what they're saying, right? It's like malice and anger. We are to put these things off, and, and we are, uh, uh, the key to all this list is, is, to, is, is, chose, is, is chosen by us. We have to do it. We have to decide to do it. How many can say, hey, I need the Lord to help me in some of these areas? In all of these areas, maybe. It's okay. Hey, be honest with yourself. Be honest with the Lord. Lord, I, I, see what, I see what Paul's telling the Colossians here, and this is something that I should be living out. This is super practical. This is, this is doable. No matter how tempting it is, we are not to use cleverness of speech or intellectual prowess to conceal the truth. Whew. Have you ever hid the truth, maybe necessarily to protect yourself at times? Anybody ever done that? It's just a little white lie, right, or to help things. I tell you what, that, that is a word for the world today. Verse 10 says this, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get moving real, real quick here. And 
have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Verse 11. Here there uh, is not Greek and Jews, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, uh, uh, Scythian, slave, free, or, or Christ is all and in all. Put on then. All right. Everyone say put on then. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate, uh, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bearing with one another, and and if one has complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Verse 14, and above all these, put on what? Love. Put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Man, I like that list way more than those other lists. I love this because this parallels uh, another one of Paul's writings in Romans 6. And, and he says of dying to sin and living for Christ. So what happens when we die to sin and we live for Christ? And you see the difference. I, I give up anger. I give up malice. I give up fornication. And then I put on these things, humility, kindness, forbearance, forgiveness, and love. The old man is before Christ, the new man is after Christ. And the old man bears the image of our past sin in which we were slaves to sin and Satan, and we become a new man in Christ, and we can only live victoriously righteous and holy before our Lord. Uh, and then Jesus is our master, and we bear the things of our master, which is righteousness and holiness. Amen? He says this, put on the new man, put on mercy, put on kindness, Put on humility, put on meekness, put on long-suffering, and put on love. In short, put on Christ. You can't do that on your own. It, 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 it's going to take the love of Christ to be able to do that. Look at this, verse 15. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. I always love how Paul always adds those little thankfuls in there. It's just a reminder to you and me, we ought to be thankful each and every day for God's grace and mercy. The, the Greek word here for rule in this verse is, a, is like a referee or an umpire. People ask, um, should, I, should I move? Should I take this job? Pastor, should I marry this person? And I often ask this question, what is your heart speaking to you? Not your hormones. Right? Or your emotion. Does, does God's peace prevail over you when, you when you think about this situation and decisions? Or, or is it, or is it, or do you, are, are, are you, um, uh, if you, if you get out of this, or is it going to be out of sorts? Or he, he will lead you and God will direct you in all things. Amen. I believe that. Do you believe that? And, I, uh, and here's the thing. If, if you don't feel the peace of God, it gives you a reason to pause and pray further about a situation rather than move. Amen? I've experienced this in my life time and time and time and time again. I promise you I have practiced this more times than I even want to admit. But let me tell you something. Every time I wait on the Lord, he always comes through. Well, you just need to have, have the peace of God. But, but here's, the, here's the thing. On the flip side of that, we see people saying, I have the peace of God about this, about, about uh, divorcing my spouse. And I say, really, why? 
And, well, I prayed about it, and I fasted about it, and I sought God, and I just felt peace about it. And then I'm reminded, <laughs> here's, here's the flip side of this. I'm reminded of a man named Jonah who felt peace about going to Nineveh, but then went the opposite direction. Let me tell you how peaceful he even was. Jonah was so peaceful in his decision that he went to sleep in the middle of a storm. And, and so he's going the opposite way of what God wanted him. And, 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 and listen, there was a boat waiting on him, compliments of the enemy that led him to the belly of a whale, compliments of God to get him back on track. And such peace he had that, that he even slept through the storm. And, and what am I saying? Listening to your hearts cannot be the only criteria for determining God's will because Jeremiah 17, 9 says this, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. If I base all my decisions based off of, of me and what I think, guess what? I'm going to make a bad decision. So this is where, here's the key. Verse 16 is going to tie this in. This is where the word comes in. Everyone say the word. Verse 16 says this. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts. To God, the parallel here is Ephesians five eighteen, which we talked about uh, uh, last year, and 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 there he talks about being filled with the Spirit in Ephesians five eighteen. Right, he says being filled with the Spirit, but here he's saying this: be filled with the Word. Takes both of them. Takes both of them in both places. The result. Look at this in in Ephesians five eighteen, and right here in Colossians three sixteen. Both places. Uh, they have the same result, being filled with the Spirit and being filled with the Word, result in singing. Oh, man. You ever been around somebody who just sings and worships no matter what? I, I love those kind of people. I seriously love being around. doesn't matter who's around. They're just going to sing. Because, you know why? Because they're filled with the Spirit. They're filled with the Word. They can't help contain those things, and they just begin to come out. We'll say, I can't sing. Well, that's okay. So, it's also, it is important to note that the Word of God, listen, the Word of God is the final authority for you and me. The, fi the final authority for you and me. So, when someone says, I have peace about this. And it contradicts God's word. Guess what your responsibility of, as a fellow believer is to do? Come here. That isn't right. Because God's word is the final authority here. And, and you're saying this and it contradicts this. And this is the truth. And this will stand. Listen, you're, you're going to go down a bad road. Now, you ought to do that in love. You ought not beat them on the head with the Bible and, you know, but you ought to do that in love. Yes, the peace of God will rule your heart, but it will never contradict the wisdom of God. Amen? And, 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 and I have people tell me they don't hear from God, and I usually ask them how often they read their Bible. Hmm. It's amazing to me. That so many professed Christians never read the word of God. And it's no wonder they aren't hearing from God because they don't know his voice. Guess what? If I want to know the character of God, if I want to know who Jesus is, guess what? He has given me a manual right here to know who he is, how he reacts, how he loves, how he responds. This thing right here is the final authority in all of our decisions as a Christian. Amen? So look at this. The next verse says this, verse 17. And, and whatever you do, 
in word or deed. Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. In other words, whatever you do, do it in the nature of Jesus Christ. How are you going to know the nature of Jesus Christ? You're going to have to read this word. You're going to have to find out who Jesus was. You're going to have to understand who he was. If I'm going to be in the nature of Jesus Christ, I need to know who he is. Guess what? I will never, if me and my wife never, ever, ever talked, we've been married 18 years. If we never talked, if we got married and we never talked in this 18 years, I would not know that woman. But let me tell you something. We have spent some time together. We know each other. She knows a lot about me, and I know a lot about her. She knows what buttons to push with me, and I know what buttons to push with her. Amen? Anybody know what I'm talking about? And here's the filter in which we are to run everything through. Would Christ do this? Is this his nature? If so, proceed. Amen? And this is how we should live in the nature of Jesus Christ. So here's number three. Here's a, here's a, a subheading number three here that if you need this is, Rules for Christian households. And so at this time, these are really practical, earthly rules. Some of these are reiterations of things that you've heard in other books that Paul has talked about. And, and I'm just going to try to cruise through these really fast here. Verse 18. Wives. <coughs> let's read this, ladies. Wives. <laughs> no, no, go back. Go back. <laughs> go back. <laughs> Wives, what? Submit to your husbands. As fitting in the Lord. Oh, that's easy for you to say, Pastor, right? He's reiterating here. Paul's reiterating what he spoke to the Ephesians in chapter 5. And Paul Paul gives this rule or this command here. And he's saying something here. Submit. Listen, man, And it's so easy to be like, well, I don't want to be, I don't want to submit to no man, you know. But listen, submit is a military term meaning to arrange oneself under another. If you're in the military, uh, you know, here's how it works. If, you're a, if your rank is under the, the officer, guess what? It doesn't matter what you think, right? Now you say, oh, man, that's really harsh, you know. But here's the thing. This is what I've learned. Submission is voluntary. It is. You, you decide to do it or not. Because guess what? If I'm in the military and I don't want to listen to my commanding officer, I may not want to listen, but guess what? I'm going to deal with the ramifications of what I just created. Right? And so here's the thing. So it is it is a voluntary submission, not just an unthinkable obedience. doesn't mean that you just have to just unthinkably be obedient to your husband, but it's a, I, I choose to do this in this moment. So look, look at this, Ephesians 5.21. It says submitting to one another. This is right before he says it. Uh, the verse in, in Ephesians, he, right before he talks about wives submitting to your own husband, he says it's submitting to one another. Out of reverence for Christ. I love how he prefaces this in Ephesians. Guess what? <laughs> as much as my, I want my wife to submit to me, guess what? I need to submit to her in the reverence of Christ. So look at this. Verse 22 says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Uh, uh, in Ephesians, this, this has been looked, as, looked at as mutual submission in verse 21 in Ephesians 5.21. But why why submit, though? Well, here's, here's some things. I'm going to give you some real practical things here in marriage. Uh, men and women are made differently. Me and my wife think differently. Probably you and your spouse have 
different ways of thinking. Usually opposites attract. That's kind of interesting. Um, but men are men typically are, are logical thinkers. That doesn't mean women can't be logical thinkers. But men tend to look at things logically and not through the lens of emotion. Now, women tend to look through things uh, uh, more emotionally. And not that that's a bad thing, because here's the thing. My wife will perceive things within my kids and within that things that are not right before I will because she is in tune. She's emotionally, she's, she's noticing those things. And sometimes I overlook it. But here's, here's the thing. We were made to fit together. She'll see those things. But God has put this logical thing inside of me that when she comes to me and says, hey, I see this thing. And then I look at it and I go, okay, we need to do stuff. A, B, C, to get to this point and then solve it together. It takes both of us to work that out. And so women often, they, they, women oftentimes sense things in marriage or within their kids before men do, but men are wired to solve and to fix, and it takes both to be one. And men have a need to be respected and trusted and 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 don't think of it as submission, but 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 just just respect. But but I, I, I struggle with this one, TJ. Well, well, Paul says it's it's fitting to the Lord. Don't do it for your sake. Do it for the Lord's sake. It's what, it's what the Lord is, is saying. Also, I might add this. It says women are to submit uh, to their husband. One man uh, they are married to, not to submit to men in general. Okay. Women are to submit to your husbands. Guess what? That does not mean that you're a doormat for every man. Okay? Some people have taken that out of context. I just thought I'd throw that out there. And so women, you know, you are to submit to, it's how God designed it, that your husband is, is the head of the, he is your, he's supposed to cover you. And I'm, I'm going to cover that in just a minute. And women, when you submit to your husband, it pleases the Lord, number one. All right? It pleases the Lord. I won't say it pleases the Lord. Verse 19, husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Woo! All right, Paul's just, he's picking on everybody, isn't he? And notice the husband is to love his wife. Seems simple enough, but, but here's the standard. Ephesians 5.25 says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That's a big bill. Men, you are to love your wife like Christ loves your wife. You are to forgive your wife like Christ forgives your wife. You are to be long-suffering with your wife like Christ is long-suffering with your wife. Husbands are to, to, to seek your wife's highest good and not his own welfare. Well, I want to make this decision for me. Well, you ought to do what's good for your wife. He is to honor her. And be considerate to her and not be bitter or harsh. And, and in the Roman family, it was common for men to be mean and loud and harsh towards their wives. And, and, and I believe this is one of the reasons that Paul is addressing this in this time. It, it, and it bothers me when, when a man talks down to his wife and he belittles her. If I'm in public and I see a, a man talking down to his wife, it frustrates me. I don't like that at all. It, it just, you know, and listen to me. Man of God, you are to be like Jesus. You ought to love your wife with everything within you. And Jesus loved his church so much that he died for her. He's coming back for her. And notice, while men need respect, women have a need to be 
love. What is love? 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4 through 7 says, Love is patient love and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. But it, it, it does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Now think about that definition of love, man. Now if you love your wife like that, it's not going to be hard for her to submit to you. These things go hand in hand. And I'm not picking on the guys, but listen, sometimes, guys, we got to step up to the plate here. And we gotta we got to lead like we're supposed to. So uh, nowhere do I read that love is harsh. So, men, if you're harsh, stop it. Stop and think, am I acting in love here? Verse 20 says this, children, <laughs> no kids in here, but we'll, we'll pick on them too, right? Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. If you're a parent, you ought to write that on your refrigerator. I think we're going to get some pictures made and put in every room in the house. No, I'm just kidding. But look at this. I want you to look at this. Children, obey your parents and everything, for this pleases the Lord. I want you to look how simply written this is. You know a five-year-old can read that and understand that? They can read? Children, obey your parents and everything, for this pleases the Lord. Exodus 20, 12 says, honor your father and your mother uh, that your days may be long in the land and, and that the Lord your God is giving you. So, Kids, obey your parents in all things. Don't argue with them, uh, but do what they say. By doing this, we are, number one, we're, ple we're pleasing the Lord. Everyone say, pleasing the Lord. And, and in Ephesians, Paul would say this. This is the first commandment with a promise. When you are obedient to your parents, guess what? Scripture says that God will bless you and that your days will be long. These are practical and biblical truths for a family uh, to operate under. Here's, here's verse 21. Uh, I like this. So we'll pick on guys again. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Now to the dads. Anybody, sometimes as a dad, I feel like I fail. Anybody ever felt that way? Anybody ever ever just said things that you, 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 you didn't really mean, but you just said it because you, you, you just burst out, you just said something, and then you realize that you, you, you said something to your kids, and you, you really did hurt them, you saw it in their face, and you, and, and you just felt terrible about yourself in that moment. Am I the only person that's ever done that? Well, I'm glad that you're all high and mighty back there. So just like Paul says to put away bitterness toward their wife, Paul warns fathers that unrealistic demands lead to anger and discouragement in the hearts of their children. Dads, don't try to live out your dreams playing sports to your kids. If they don't want to play baseball and they want to play the flute in the band, let them play the flute in the band. Right? I've seen a lot of kids that have been frustrated because they're trying to live their dad's dream. Some kids grow up with resentment towards their fathers because of the demands that fathers have put on them 
And when you sense you are provoking your kids, take a breath, walk away, get away from the situation. Ephesians 6, 4 says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So, Paul, why repeat yourself? Why are you doing this? Well, he's writing letters to two different groups, number one. But the content of the letter is beneficial for both them, both of those groups, and me today. Verse 22, bond servants, obey in everything. Those who are, uh, are your earthly masters, we're almost done. Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Bond servants were, were not uncommon to have within a home at this time, okay? Um, just so you know, you can do a little research on that. Paul, Paul doesn't leave them out. So how does this apply to you and me? Let me ask you this question. How many of you guys have jobs? You may not be a servant, but you're an employee. Mm. Be honest. Give your, give, your, give your boss an honest day's work. Do what is right. Give your boss your best while you're at work. Not just, not just to please them, but when you're working, do it for the Lord. God, I, I, I want to I put your best foot forward. So I, My boss knows I'm a Christian, so guess what? I'm going to show up on time. I'm going to do 100% of what I can do. I'm going to admit when I'm wrong. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I am going to be uh, the best that I can for you. Well, what if I don't agree with my company's policy? It, it, it may not be your flavor or, or what, you, what you do if you were a boss. But here's the thing. God has put those people in authority over you for a reason. And unless their demand is immoral, and, and, and you better have some scripture and some wise counsel to back up your objection. Verse 23, whatever you do, mm, I like this one, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Well, I don't like my boss, so I don't want to give my best. Paul says this, do your best. Do it for the Lord, don't do it for men. Ecclesiastes 9.10 says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. And here's some great advice for any young person wanting to go into ministry. And I don't know if there is any in the building or anybody that might want to listen to this podcast at some point. But here's some great advice for you. The man God uses is a man who knows how to work. The man or woman that God uses is, is a person that knows how to work. I'll give you some example. You know what, before God called Moses out, he was watching and working with his father-in-law's sheep. And then God appeared to him in a burning bush in Exodus 3. I'll give you another example. When It was Elisha when he was plowing in the field when Elijah came along. And the mantle of ministry was, was spent on him. And he put it, put it on, on Elijah in 1 Kings 19.90. Here's another one. It was Peter and Andrew who were casting their nets out. They were out working at sea when Jesus called them to be fishers of Men, Matthew uh, 4, 19. Here's another one. It was Paul who was working for the high priest on his way to Damascus when Jesus appeared to him on the Damascus road. Listen, God will use people who will work. And many people want to be missionaries and pastors and youth pastors, are, and they're just sitting around waiting on God, and here's the answer. Get to work. Whatever your hand finds, do it with all your might. Whatever you're doing, do it heartily for the Lord. It, it is then God will tap you on the shoulder when you're busy working. He'll be like, oh, I'm calling you up. Verse 24 says this. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward, uh, you are serving the Lord 
someone, um, I love this story. Someone was watching Mother Teresa care for people with open sores, stinking bodies, and bleeding wounds. And they said, I, I wouldn't do that, uh, what you're doing for a million dollars. And this is Mother Teresa's response. She looked, looked at that person and smiled and said, neither would I. The only award big enough for such service is an eternal reward. The reward for serving something well is found in the future reward that Christ will give those who are faithful in service. So here Paul asserts that all work done to the, uh, is to be done to the honor of Christ will, will, in, will be an eternal reward. So look at this, verse 25. Last verse. Everyone say, finally. All right. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the, for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. So it is our sins. If our sins are forgiven because of the finished work of Christ, what does it mean uh, that, he, that he does wrong will be repaid for the wrong that he has done? Okay. So Jeremiah, there's a verse in Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 19 says this. God says, this one wickedness shall correct thee. Uh, the, the backslidings shall reprove you that our sin will, uh, this is what it's saying, that our sin will track us down. The wages of sin is what? Okay, God's grace covers our sins, but there's ramifications for our sins, okay, in the physical. So for years, uh, man, I've heard people speak of premarital, uh, uh, you know, being married or premarital sex, and, and, and this is what they say. You wouldn't buy a car without test driving it, right? That's their response. And it's, it's amazing to me that people would even, would even talk about test driving a car to someone that you're going to be married to for the rest of your life. All right? Something that's temporal and something that's a godly covenant. But people have, 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 have said those things to me. So, um, but here's, here's the thing. Here's, here's, the, here's the big thing. It's a, if you aren't going to, it, they say if you're going to be success, successful, you have to test drive it, they say. And being brought together physically, the Bible talks about the two shall become one, right? So what happens when, when a husband and a woman come together, there is this connection. There is this, there's, it's not just physical, but there is an emotional connection between that person. So I guess if you were going to say, hey, you got to test drive the car or whatever, it would be like test driving a car while going to a demolition derby. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be a wreck. It's going to be a mess. And explains a lot of the high rate of dissolved marriages of people who lived together before they were married. Here's the thing. Sin of any kind carries its own repercussions, right? And because God is neither a respecter of persons or pastors, no one is exempt. Amen. Amen. There's a lot of truth in this little chapter right here. How many thought that that was pretty punchy? All right. I thought it was punchy. Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, God, thank you for your word. God, I pray, Lord, that this word would uh, just penetrate our hearts. God, help us to live as, as believers. God, help us to grow. God, help us to put off things, put to death, God, those, those things, fornication, pornography, God, those things, uh, evil passions and evil desires and, God, um, and, and crude talk. God, help us to, to put those things to death. But, God, also, Lord, help us to put off anger, God, malice and and wrath, and God, and lies. God, I pray, Lord, that you would help us to put those things away, God, as we grow. But God, help us to walk in meekness and love, God, and forgiving, God, one another. God, help us to walk in the nature of Christ. 
God, I ask, Lord, that you would just be with us, God, as we grow together. God, I, I pray, Lord, you bless each and every person that's here tonight. God, those who were not able to make it tonight, God, be with us to the next appointed time. God, we'll give you the...